How many were here last night? Great. I'm glad you came back. And uh, just by way of review, I believe that because uh, it, it began a foundation of just some things that the Lord wanted to emphasize. But uh, one of the things that we looked at in uh, just by way of review that we, we looked at the concept or we emphasized the concept last night that uh, you are here. By the way, are you at least audio recording this tonight? Okay, great. I just want to make sure it's always important to record. Always record everything you do. Um, that every person in this room, you have been put on the earth for a, spe a specific period of time. And here's uh, something cool to recognize about your life. This is the shortest part of your existence. And eternity does not begin... When you go to heaven, eternity defined by Jesus in John the 17th chapter, verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you and the one true God and Jesus Christ. You said. So the moment you made Jesus Lord of your life and surrendered to him, you stepped into eternity. The Holy Spirit is called the power of the age to come. So you get it in, in you can have it as much as you want for a human being to have him, but there is more to have even in the next place. And you get to choose where you spend eternity. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Like people are like, how can a loving God send people to hell? It's like, and no, no more than a loving God wants people addicted to drugs or pornography. It's very important to recognize that God gives this real powerful thing, like it's even more powerful than actually the Holy Spirit moving in your life. And that's your power of choice. Deuteronomy 30, I have set before you. He's speaking about himself. So he's saying, I have given you this power to have life. And he, it, it is desire. You hear his passion. I want you to have life, but you, you can choose. He's so committed to your choice that he will actually allow you to choose to go to a place that he never created for you. But you're here for a limited period of time on the earth to fulfill a purpose, a specific purpose. And the reason why this is important is that in uh, Matthew, Jesus gives us this prayer. He doesn't pray. Uh, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he, he doesn't pray. Uh, he prays, or he doesn't pray that there would be a harvest. He prays that there would be laborers for the harvest. An accurate labor is someone who is walking out their God-ordained purpose on the earth. And that they understand that they, have, uh, they are an ambassador of the kingdom of God with full rights and privileges to bring to earth. And this is something that's really important about your purpose. Part of the reason your purpose is so important is that you have the privilege of bringing something to earth that never existed. What a privilege. That's why, that's why there's always this encouragement to be yourself. Yeah. Because you have the privilege of bringing something to earth that never existed. And we emphasize that when you become born again, not only are you righteous before God, but you have favor before God, but you have favor on the earth. And that even Jesus himself grew in favor with man. It's a fascinating concept. He's perfect, but he's growing in favor with man on the earth. I want to suggest to you that if Jesus grew in favor, how much more do we need to grow in favor? And Jesus is our example. And the goal of God, it's very important for you to, to recognize the goal of God for your life is not to get you to heaven. Heaven is a consequence of his main goal for your life. And his main goal is for you to be like him. 
Ephesians chapter 1, be, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be therefore imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at things and we, we kind of ended last night, but we, we did start by saying that we're in a defining moment and how you position yourself right now determines the next 10 to 12 years of your life. You're, you're, we are literally at an intersection in the purposes of God for the people of God and God will hold us responsible whether we fulfill that which God ordained this generation of people to fulfill. Now the beautiful thing about this generation in the earth is that we are answering the prayers of a previous generation. And so there, there's this uh, theological concept that there is a church on the earth, the body of Christ, and then there is a church in heaven. And that church in heaven, that's why we have this great cloud of witnesses. And I don't know if they can see everything. I know they can see some things taking place, but they're actually cheering us on that we would fulfill the things that they started on the earth. They cannot uh, they cannot receive some of their reward unless we fulfill certain things. I say that again. They cannot fulfill. Hebrews 12 tells us, excuse me, he, the, the, the end of the, the, the last verse in Hebrews 11 tells us that they are made perfect. They cannot be made perfect apart from us. I don't know if you realize even, uh, even at a small level how privileged you are to even uh, quote unquote be in a spirit-filled church tonight. Early spirit-filled people, particularly in America, there's always been spirit-filled people. It just, uh, at, at the turn of the century, God just ramped things up. And uh, that's also another good point. Uh, the majority doesn't determine what God does. Usually the majority rejects it, unfortunately. But at the turn of the century, what we know as the modern day Pentecostal movement later, later became the charismatic movement. Early Pentecostals, in some places, they'd want to take away your kids because they thought you were crazy. That's not an exaggeration. And, and, and I don't know if I necessarily blame the social services back then because they'd never seen anything like that in mass in the earth. They were used to uh, more of an, let's say, an intellectual gospel. And then you showed up with the Pentecostals and because they were mostly poor people, fundamentalist people, you'd walk in and, huh, you know, they're jerking and rolling and, and all sorts of things. You, you might think they're crazy too if you'd never seen anything like that. But here's also an important point uh, when you discern things uh, of the moves of the Spirit. Not everything, obviously, is of God. You have to be able to discern all that. But uh, just because you've never seen it or experienced it doesn't mean it's not God. Your experience of God does not define what God would do. Very important when discerning moves of God. Like, I, you know, uh, sometimes, sometimes many people like, well, I've been a believer 20 years. I've been around Spirit-filled things, and I've never seen that. You're not the standard. Like, sorry, God does things without you experiencing it. <laughs> you know, think about how important you think you are, you know. <laughs> so one of the things we saw within the context of purpose and righteousness is that you have favor with God. You're actually supposed to believe that you have an advantage in the world, not in a sense of uh, uh, an arrogance. Actually, great hu it, it, uh, true humility is able to receive what God wants to give you and know how to uh, leverage it to be a blessing to the world around you. 
And so you have favor with God. And we also saw that God spoke to Joseph. God wants to speak to every person in this room. Not just one word, but word after word after word. And the reason that's so important is because when God speaks to you specific things about your life, it's what qualifies you to do what God called you to do. But knowing the will of God for your life uh, does not mean you will see the will of God in that area for your life. It's the choices you make within the context of knowing the will of God. You can know all, all you, can, you, can, you can know God wants to heal you, but if he nudges you to go to a healing service to receive healing and you don't go, you might not receive your healing. I, 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 I've listened to uh, Randy Clark sometimes talk about how he, he, he would, he would he, his, he had his, at the time, his church that he, he, um, he uh, planted in St. Louis. He, you know, there was a big word of faith church there in the city. And he would say, if, you're, if you come here to shout, shout and confess it, go down the road. And then when he needed, he was looking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Rodney Howard Brown. He had to go to Tulsa. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. He had to go to Tulsa to Raymond Bible Church to go see Rodney. It's a word of faith place. So sometimes what you need is wrapped up in something that you've judged. And so often you have to overcome your, the own, your own stronghold in your thinking. And ideas about God that are not God are some of the most difficult to overcome. Because there's a humility that takes you readjusting something you thought was true about God. And adjusting it. And there's a human tendency to believe that we kind of got it. And, and kind of this is the, the way to do it, you know. Every, every church community that God builds is always a little different, you know, different expressions based upon personalities and based upon uh, what God has called those specific groups. Not kind of like not every family is the same. I don't know if you've noticed that, you know, sometimes people come to our family gatherings, think we're arguing, we're talking. <laughs> we're reasoning together. So he said, you have purpose and God speaks. And that word qualifies you to do what God calls you to do in the earth. But the ability to hold on to that word and the ability to develop a disciplined life is very important to that. You will never grow beyond your ability to practice the fundamentals in your life. You could have the greatest destiny, the greatest idea, the greatest marketplace influence. But if it is, if it is never uh, constructed properly, at some point you'll have, a, you'll, you'll, you'll have a flaw that you'll have to fix. It's like a house. Remember years ago when I was learning about foundations with the Lord, I, I, I asked this um, uh, a few builders, and actually I asked one or another about a year ago, and I asked the same question, and I said, well, tell me about foundations. He said, I don't even, he goes, I don't even mess with foundations anymore. He goes, I just start all over again because they're such a hassle to rebuild foundations. You see that in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. 
Both people go through storms, and he gives this illustration. What a brilliant way he taught. He would give everyday natural examples to display spiritual truths. And um, he, he, said, he talks about two different types of people. And you'll notice that even the one who built correctly went through the storm. But the one who didn't build correctly was, was, had some major issues in the storm. The one who, uh, excuse me, the one who built incorrectly had major issues. The one who built correctly survived the storm. So when you're building correctly, when you're building according to the fundamentals, then you can make it through every storm knowing. And it is, it's not that you, you don't have to practice them even in the middle of the storm. It's just that you'll, you, you just keep practicing what you're doing. You know, that was one of the things the Lord really emphasized to me when the shutdown came. You just keep doing what you're doing. Okay, that's what I'll do. Now, change a little bit. Because everybody got, anyway, that's a different issue. But, but, you know, just, okay, get up in the morning, spend time with the Lord. I trust you, God. And you just, and I started reading all the prophetic words because he told me, your currency in this season is what I've spoken to you before this all happened. Great. Begin to see it through that lens. So you're valuable. And we, we looked at that last night. Paul makes this very interesting statement. He says in Romans, uh, the first chapter, he said, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. That's a very fascinating statement to me. So God's got these characteristics that are invisible, but he, he displays through natural things to put him on display. I want to suggest to you that your life on earth is supposed to be like that. Your life is supposed to display the invisible attributes of who God is. Adam was made in the image of God to point people to God. Jesus was the image, what, of the invisible God. Who are you supposed to be like? Jesus. Some of you are still stuck on that, but it's right. It's right. Just listen to the CD. And so we looked at that at an individual level. And uh, let me just read these few things. Our ability to connect with the purposes of God makes us relevant to the world around us. It's only in your ability to connect with God's purpose for your life that actually uh, makes you uh, or allows you to become relevant to the world around you. When you walk in purpose, you immediately become relevant to the world around you. That's why Proverbs teaches a man, and, and we know it's, it could be men and women, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. When you discover or begin to discover the purposes for which God brought you to earth, you'll never worry about being unemployed anymore. It is only in our ability to be relevant that allows us to first become a person of influence and then become a person who shapes culture. So even last night, one of the, I think, uh, fruitful points that God was making out of that was that um, there's a call and there's an invitation to be mature people. God actually expects your life to produce, according to John the 15th chapter, he, he, he said that you would produce much fruit. So you have to ask yourself, what is your life currently producing? And uh, is your life a constant stretching forward and advancing in the purposes of God. 
part of an apostolic grace, and every, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Part of an apostolic grace is that there's always this charge forward. There's always this thought of advancing. There's always thought, I'm stretching for more. I'm stretching for more in God, but I'm also stretching for more in faith. I'm stretching my faith out there, and I'm extending myself out there to bring into, into the earth realities that do not yet exist in my life because I'm responsible to do that. I am actually responsible in my partnership with God through faith to call things be not as though they are because they will be. That's actually your responsibility. But your individual destiny is always supposed to be connected to a larger corporate call. And it's called the body of Christ. The church is a community in which God builds his people. How do you get trained for this? And, and uh, God gives us insight into this uh, in, in, uh, again, in Jesus' teaching when he, when, he, when he gives this story of the, the good shepherd leaving the 99 for the one. And, and uh, the dimension of truth there, one of the dimensions that he teaches there is obviously we, God's passion for people. God is passionate about you. God cares about you. God knows exactly where you're at. God, God actually, uh, he, is, he is fully invested even in the moment that you're in, even if you've made 100 billion mistakes today. He goes, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. I keep making the same mistake. I'm here to help. Well, I did the same thing again. I'm here to help. Remember years ago, ministering to this lady at this church in South Carolina. And this, I think after the Sunday morning service, little church, she goes, you don't understand. I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I did it anyway. I said, yes, it's called sin, ma'am. The good news today is that he's made a way for your stupidity and my stupidity. Yeah. The interesting thing about God, he's done everything he's ever going to do about your problem. He really has. He's just looking for a heart that turns toward him. In our immaturity, sometimes we look for deliverance or relief, and God wants to teach you about dominion. Wow. So yeah, he'll unstick you, but he, he wants to teach you a whole lot more so you can unstick other people. And then he'll leverage your pain and go, you don't got to live like that to other people. Part of, uh, part of the unmasking of the beauty of real discipleship is, is realizing how dysfunctional we have lived when we can't, when we, when we, when we don't think like him or align with the word of God in that area. Because we come to accept dysfunction as normal that when like God, when we align with God, oh, that's crazy. No, no, no. What you're living now is stupid. What he's asking you to do is normal, but we've lived so dysfunctionally, we think what he's asking us to do is radical. And he's trying to teach you what real normal life is because he is consumed with abundant life for you. 
He really is. Like that is his heart for people. That is his desire. That is his passion for people. But the key part of that is this, is that he has given you the power to surrender, but he can't choose for you to surrender. And he will not negotiate with people. Remember uh, years ago, I had a, 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 or or my friend told me his testimony years ago that um, he was a very brilliant man, PhD, MBA, and uh, he was just an undergrad in college and he had grown up Catholic, but not born again. And uh, these, these young men told him about the gospel. And uh, so it starts going on the inside of him, but he's at Berkeley and I believe it's Berkeley, UC, or UC Davis, one of these very good schools. And he, he said to the Lord, he said, it just started working in my heart. But I said to the Lord one night, I'll serve you, but I don't want to be stupid. And God said, no deal. Really? He said, next night, he said, God, I'll serve you no matter what it looks like. So he doesn't negotiate with you. He doesn't negotiate like, like you know, if, you, know I, you get, get me out of this problem. I'll go to Africa. It doesn't work like that. But there's a beautiful exchange because in losing your life, you find life. God's been lied about, right? Like people like, if I just really give that up, it's just going to be like so hard. No, it's like the freeingest thing ever. I've never regretted saying yes to anything God asked me to do. Really? I've never been like, oh, I'm really sorry I obeyed him in that, you know? (laughs) really sorry I gave all my money to that. It's like, no, what freedom I came into. Anytime I'm I'm challenged by something, it's usually because there's self-preservation somewhere in me. So it's in this context though, but go back into the story of the, the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. We know. So he's, he's passionate about you, passionate about your situation, passionate about your difficulties, passionate about everything you're going through tonight. You know, sometimes the greatest thing you can just say to the Lord, I, I just trust you. I trust you and I roll the care over of this situation over on you. That's what he said to do, right? Humble yourself under the sight of God and cast all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for that situation. But we know, or the, the culture of scripture would also know, the Hebrews would also know, yes, he's passionate about people. But those 99 would know that the reason that the good shepherd goes for that one is that the, 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 the 99 are not made whole unless everyone is included in the purposes of God. The Hebrews understood this concept of community, of the value of of a community being one and being aligned with each other and a value for each other. And being able to recognize the, the, the strengths that others brought to elevate you into purpose. And that's part of the, there is no true discipleship without community could be a home church, could be more of a traditional church of what we think of in the Western uh, uh, sense of, of something in a room like this. But what qualifies something to be a church that God is building is the fact that God called a man or woman to do it. That's what qualifies it. That's what qualifies something to be birthed and part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't qualify if people are disgruntled and go start their own thing. It's not what qualifies it. And just because a, 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 you have a sign that says church doesn't mean it's a church. 
And so that's what the, that's the, so we have this in, we have our individual destinies, but those destinies are always supposed to contribute to a greater whole. Jesus modeled this when he walked the earth. He called, obviously we know the 12 and then the 72 to walk with him in the context of community. Part of the beauty of being in and, and, and recognizing where we're called to plant ourselves is that um, not everyone's as perfect as you. And you learn something about the dynamics of relationships and about God when you work with people that there's conflict with. But if you can learn to honor the strengths and value who they are and learn to receive the benefit of what they bring, it brings this strength into the earth. And, it, and Jesus spoke about this in, in uh, Matthew 18, 19, where he says, where two or more agree. It doesn't say it shall be done. It says it will be done. So there's a corporate strength. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because the world, the, the world system, the world in what God wants to do, the world I don't believe has ever seen a move of God where at the, at the front and center of what God is doing is through the person in the pew. But this is what God wants to do in this season. In previous seasons, he was reintroducing truths, reintroducing graces to the body of Christ. But in this season, you are the reformer. You are the revivalist. You are the person that God has called you to be. And that's why I believe God had us emphasize last night uh, the, 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 your individual contribution. But here's, here's an apostolic emphasis here. Let's look at uh, Romans, the 12th chapter, and, and you'll see this concept of the body coming together. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, this is Romans chapter 12, verse 3, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... So uh, a common, uh, I think, misconception if people go, well, I am the church. No, you're one of many members. And I believe local bodies and local churches are, uh, are to be like families. It is the responsibility of leaders to make it like family settings. But all members do not have the same function. Thank God for that. But catch this. But we being many are one body in Christ. We being many are one body in Christ. Individually members of what? One another. Then look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, you'll see this emphasis Again, this is, not, this is not a small apostolic emphasis here. If you want to know apostolic teaching, he's emphasizing these truths to us. Verse 12, I encourage you to read the whole chapter. That's your homework. I think our talks about God should lead to more homework. Do your homework this week. Deborah Burgess, good to see you. Do your homework this week, Deborah. <laughs> For just as the body is one, yet has many parts, all parts of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave nor free. We were all made to drink of what? One spirit. 
For the body is not one part, but many. For the body is not one part, but many. And I'll just skip ahead. Verse 18. But now God has arranged these parts, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. So we always want to keep in mind, even as leaders, no one belongs to me. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 